Are foot fetishists weird? What if there's more to the foot than we know? Today we talk with Christina Crabtree, a foot, ear, and hand reflexologist, to really understand what we can gain from honoring the foot. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. Welcome to episode 139, because sex isn't ever just about sex. So... That brings us to uh, the show today. Um, we have our guest co-host, David Rodwin, with us. Thank you for joining us. Hi, it's a pleasure. Uh, he is a storyteller and filmmaker, and he also has a one-man show called Fuck Tinder, which will show at the Hollywood Fringe this June. Um, you can find him at jadelake.com. Jade is in that really pretty green stone. Yeah. That I hope a man gifts me one day. I mean, what? To <laughs> <laughs> gift yourself. Yeah, I know, right? right? Actually, ooh, I was in India once, and uh, this woman gave me, a mas- I got a massage in India, and she had all this beautiful jewelry, and I think it was just my attempt to, like, have small talk, and I did say something like, oh, were those gifts? And she was like, I bought this myself. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, right, like, getting schooled by the Indian lady, you know, that was nice. Uh, But yes, so, um, and Christina Crabtree, you can actually find her information on a Facebook page called Touch Balance Yoga. And um, Christina, you actually have a lot of knowledge outside of reflexology as well. I mean, you mentioned um, having uh, studied Kundalini, this kind of thing. Yes. Uh, So hello, everyone. Yes. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Yay. So reflexology is my first love in terms of holistic healing and holistic arts. But since becoming a reflexologist nine years ago, I've also become certified in kundalini yoga. So I'm a teacher and I work at a place called the Awareness Center in Pasadena. So you can look me up at theawarenesscenteryoga.com. In addition to that, I am really interested in essential oils. So I'm a wellness advocate for doTERRA oils. I've been incorporating those into my reflexology practice over the last couple of years. And not only is it amazing for the clients, but I love it. It's just a wonderful adjunct to the reflexology. Um, I use the oils aromatically. So I diffuse them, which helps really create a calming, relaxing, spa-like atmosphere. We all love smell. We can spend a whole episode talking about the nose if you want to do that at some point. Yeah, for sure. smells. Um, well, we, but, we have a show. We did a show about essential oils. You? Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear. Yeah. Anyway. So um, yeah, reflexology has been something that uh, I first discovered about 15 years ago. I had a session. And when I had that first session, I knew nothing about it. It was somebody had given my fiance at the time a gift certificate and it was going to expire and the place was down the street from my office. So I figured yeah, that's why how not? it happens. My friend yeah. didn't want to go to her massage and I said, well, I'll take it. Exactly. <laughs> that was my, my first massage when yeah. I was, you know, 15. Yeah. And at the time I didn't really have any particular um, health challenges other than just, you know, stress. And uh, I was blown away at the profound level of relaxation that I experienced. I was literally drooling on the table at the end of that hour. (laughs) And I thought, what just happened here? And all the practitioner did was work on my hands, feet, and ears. Wow. And and throughout the session, I kept trying to talk to her. I kept trying to say, what are you doing? What are you pressing? I knew that there was some loose correlation with the parts of the body. So if she was touching a toe, I was asking her, well, what does that mean? Or if I felt a little tingle or a twinge, I wanted to know what it corresponded to. And she answered my questions, but she gently kind of guided me to hold off till the end of the session so that you can relax and then we can talk. Mm. So once I did that, I was able to reach this really deep level um, 
And now that I've practiced yoga and meditation over the years, I recognize that that deep level is is a level that sometimes takes an hour of meditation to achieve. And I was wow. able to do that with basically just lying on a massage table. Um, and that's an experience that most people in our day-to-day stressed out lives don't ever get to feel. Well, I know. <laughs> that's why we're doing a show about it. I want everyone to experience it. I mean, even myself, when I have these shows and I have an opportunity to talk with you, I'm like, oh, right. Pencil that into the schedule, like weekly preventive health care or self-care, monthly, yeah. mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Well, in terms of self-care, I actually have a question. So... I, I'm, a, I'm a massage therapist. I trained 12 years ago. And the reason I got into it was because I dated a massage therapist. And I thought to myself, this is great. I'm going to get all these massages. And in fact, I got none. Oh, yeah. You know, you won't get in any. In fact, what happened was she came back from her you know busy schedule. And she's like, can you just rub me? And then she would begin to instruct me right. as to how to massage her. Um, so I'm curious, <laughs> as a reflexologist, do you have someone you go to? And do you actually get taken care of yourself? I do. So thank you for bringing that up. I don't do it as often as I should. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but, moral of um, the story. Yeah. One of, one of my teachers, who's actually become one of my mentors over the year, over the years, not just in reflexology, but in all forms of holistic practice. Um, she's actually an acupuncturist now, as well as a reflexologist. She is my go-to. So um, if I'm lucky, I get maybe a session once every Two or three months. Oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. All right, no, it's wild like action. It's yeah, like that. <laughs> you get more. No, are you sure? Because you develop the skill. I so I just want to um, bring it back to you know the opening that I kind of addressed about like oh okay foot fetish da da da. The reason this topic came up and why I said oh I right, got to find someone and and found Christina um, is because I was in a conversation where um, friends and, you know, I, I do comedy, right? So I'm hanging out with some comedians and there's sort of this joke about foot fetishists and like, what does that mean? We just, we did a really great show, um, in the fall also with someone who talked about his, um, a, a more unique fetish and, um, and, and really had it analyzed it and thought a lot about it. So that led me to this, this moment where they're joking about it, about the foot fetish. And I thought, you know, is it that weird? You know, I look at a foot reflexology place. I don't know that much about it, but I've seen how detailed this foot map is. And I'm going, my God, there must be so much to know there. And then I and then I thought, well, maybe these foot fetishists are more evolved than the rest of us. <laughs> you know, they're, they're tapped into, um, yeah, like an arousal to something that is... Uh, integral to your health so they're actually focusing and honing in on something that we could all afford to have more awareness about Mm -hmm. um you know and then of course everyone you know laughed and was like yeah whatever and i was like yeah well i'm gonna do a show about it (laughs) (laughs) so i was excited to talk with you about the foot and then also when i never even heard of that that there is a reflexology for hand and ears Mm -hmm. as well and so when you said that I, I happen to have very sensitive ears and that's like a big thing for me. Even wearing these headsets sometimes when we do shows are like too much. Um, and, and it is an arousal point for me. And I, and I know that the reflexology is so much more than just the arousal <laughs> element. But, um, but I was curious about the taboo around these areas that I think are actually roadmaps to our body. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I would love for you to talk about what we can gain from that, from our hands and ears and and feet. Um, And yeah, you know, I mean, I think my whole show is about the weird stigmas we've developed that are 
uh, denying that sexuality is somehow into, you know, is integral in our bodies or like, I don't know, experiencing pleasure and Okay, now I'm all over the place. Please, Christina, take over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots to cover there, T. Yes, yes, so, yes. Um, I have one note on the foot fetishes, if, I have to, if I'm going to start sure. this off. This little side note, but I think you'll find it interesting. So just a little jog back. When I was in college, I was part of a hotline, a telephone hotline that was a peer hotline that was for crisis intervention. And... Unfortunately, because it was a public phone number, we, de- we couldn't control who would call. So oftentimes it were people that were not students. And there were several wow. people who we ended up calling repeaters, people that would call over and over again. And we would come to recognize their storylines. One such gentleman had a foot <laughs> fetish. <laughs> wow. And his stories court. often involved the feet. And that became our cue to recognize him and we would end the call because obviously that's not why we were there. Mm. Um, But having said that, that's been my only experience in my entire life with anybody with a foot fetish. Right. Really? You you didn't, uh, you've never had the experience of working on a client and suddenly something. No. Oh, interesting. Well, can I, I mean, I think this is, and something that came up in the show that I mentioned from the fall was also, um, you know, how, how do we define fetish? I think it's when it starts to impede on your life in some way, it becomes a focal point where you're sacrificing other things. I mean, almost like addiction or something, right? Like that it's um, an unhealthy distraction. So I think the word does have a negative connotation. Um, and then I also do think that we are in, an, in a repressed environment that allows for certain desires to inflame that mm-hmm. maybe could be more organic and, and less quote weird Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i I don't think the the focus of the show is so much about you know where is that compulsion coming from but just it was a jumping off point on that idea of what um you know the craft that you have mastered and and you know what we can learn from it so you're right you mentioned the foot map so for anybody who hasn't ever seen it they're very easy to find just google foot reflexology map and you'll find dozens if not hundreds of them available out there. There may be slight differences if you look at one map to the next, but generally speaking, you're going to find that there's a lot of correspondence. And what you find are very specific regions of the foot that correspond to the various organs and systems of the body. So for example, the toes correspond to the head, the top of the the head. So if you look at the foot with the toes pointed up, the toes are going to be the head, and as you work your way down the foot, when you get to the heel, that's going to be more of the pelvic region. So if you think of it in terms of the lining up of your body, wow, that's generally okay. the alignment. Okay, so that's a very um, easy way for people to sort of understand. If I have a headache, I'm going to focus more attention on the toes, whereas if somebody's having um, some intestinal discomfort, I'm going to focus on the lower part of the foot. Just very generally, just to give you an idea. Now, within that, you can get very, very specific. And that's where these detailed maps come into play. And that's where, for myself, as a a trained reflexologist, I went through a nine-month certification process where we learned these maps. We learned about the variety of maps that are available around the world because as this um, science, and it is a science and as well as an art, has developed over the last hundred years... Um, different people, different groups have identified slight variations. So that's where you might see, you know, the, you know, a specific organ point may be in a slightly different location. 
Can I ask you, I was under the impression that it's also like an ancient art. Is it, is it more new? Well, in terms of it being codified as a modality in and of itself, Western reflexology as we know it is only, has, was only truly developed in the last hundred years. But prior to that, there are a lot of anecdotal practices, practices of, it, yeah. of, for sure, people have given each other, um, you know, foot treatments. I don't know if you want to call it a massage or reflexology. We don't have the word reflexology written in hieroglyphics. <laughs> sure. um, but, you know, one could argue that there has been throughout history a recognition that the feet have a, are, a, are a doorway to the rest of the body. Um, in I, but like, I don't feel like that's common knowledge. Like when you say that it is like a big deal, it's like, okay, but we stand on them all day and we like, I don't, I don't acknowledge my feet. Right. And I feel like I've had a couple of, and in fact, the only time that my feet do get attention is maybe in an intimate situation and not everyone. It like depends on, you know, so I had a boyfriend who would focus on that and I was like, wait, this is a now must, <laughs> but you know, how do I, right. you know, do I get my friend to massage my foot or, you know, seek yeah. out, seek it out. But I, I do feel like there isn't, I don't You're know. Right. You're right. Definitely in our culture, there's a lot of just suppression and we ignore it. As we were talking about before we began T, you know, our feet are in shoes or we're standing in them all day long. We don't really think about them until they hurt. Once they <laughs> hurt and we've been walking around or we're in too tight shoes, then we we decide we need to soak them. We need we may ask somebody to give us a foot rub. Suddenly it becomes a focal point. But if we can learn to do some preventative maintenance on our feet, we do some preventative touch work, it's amazing. And the more you tune into your own feet, the more you recognize the stories your own feet can tell about your own body. Mm. And yeah. so if you're feeling pain in certain areas, how it relates to your Correct. body. Right. David? Well, I was curious. Uh, d- d- and clearly you, you have a, a, a lot of training in this. Uh, do you have any suggestions for people like, you know, uh, at home by themselves or with their partner that they can do um, without the knowledge that you have that like will be potentially good for them and not screw things up? Or is that sort of like playing doctor on yourself at home and really... Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't think it's um, I don't really think there's any harm for sure in, in giving yourself a foot reflexology treatment or giving a partner a session. And um, unless you have an open wound, a recent <laughs> surgery, a fracture, yeah. pretty common sense things, you wouldn't you wouldn't massage on a body part where you've just had an injury directly. So aside of a few basic common sense mm-hmm. contraindications, yeah. um, there's no harm. Ooh, I have a question. Yeah. The times that, yeah, the times that I've had massages or kind of a foot reflexology massage. Anyway, you know, there are times where I go, Oh, that hurts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to breathe through it. You know, okay, if you have a partner rubbing you, maybe you go, okay, you don't know what you're doing and it hurts, so let's not. But at what level are you supposed to feel discomfort? Is that me needing to breathe into it? Great question. Yeah, so we say that it should never be more than a good hurt. The amount of pressure that we apply during a general reflexology session is about five pounds of pressure. So a light to medium pressure. And there have there have actually been studies that have shown that light pressure is as effective as deep pressure. So you really don't need to work 
deeply. Wow. I was actually going to ask if you use tools at all, but both for the preservation of your own hands as well as to get deeper in, you know, any kind of stone or metal or... So when I'm working with a client, I do not use tools. It's exclusively my own hands. Now, a person working on themselves or a partner at home in a home setting, certainly there are lots of tools out there. You've probably seen there are the little foot roller balls. There's all sorts of little implements you can try. And all of those all those do is, as you pointed out, save your own hands if you feel like I don't have enough strength or maybe my hands are tired. Or it may just be a different tactile sensation. Um, I was going to say, it sure feels good when I do an Indian style, you know, sit on the floor and rub mm-hmm. my own feet. Yeah. Which we don't well, really do either, right? Like there isn't, mm-hmm. you can just do it yourself. Uh, yeah. and, and it's nice when someone else does it. You know what I mean? It, it is nice, <laughs> but, 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 but it's really interesting because I think there the, there is real value even in our you know unknowledgeable uh, attempts at, at at touching our own feet, and mm-hmm. it's a very different experience when you're doing it with someone. I dated a massage therapist many years ago, and she was also a dancer. Um, and she would, I mean, she would destroy her body with, with the kind of dance she was doing. It was modern dance, and. Uh, one of the things she did whenever she traveled and she was on tour, she traveled with tennis balls. Mm-hmm. And she showed me how to roll out, how she rolled out her feet with ten- tennis balls. What do you, do, do you have uh, ideas on tennis balls in particular? Not in particular, but I, I know that they are effective for, yeah, it's great. Any kind of ball, even a golf ball, because it's Ooh, smaller. Oh, I like the golf ball idea because I find the tennis balls like unwieldy and I'm like, well, I can't get my, okay. Yes, but it's softer. A golf ball, that would be like, ooh, intense. But you decide the amount of pressure. Exactly. You You don't have to like push down on it. But some of us are clumsy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, there's, you can play with it and we're, everybody's, everybody's body's different, right? So some people's feet are more sensitive Uh than others. Um, I have Good point. at least a couple of friends that I know personally who, when I've offered reflexology sessions, they say, you can do my hands, but not my feet. Uh, yeah. And when I've probed a little bit, um, one, one woman I know, it was because of some childhood trauma. Uh-huh. So again, when it comes to taboos and sexuality, there may be, we, have to, we do recognize that for some people, it is a very vulnerable yeah. experience as a massage therapist one of the things i usually ask is can i touch your feet mm-hmm. and that that and the stomach are the two areas where people most often have j- j- just skip it right uh and I, I i don't inquire at the time why don't you want me to touch yeah. your feet but anecdotally when i've spoken with people about it they have often talked about they're embarrassed they think they their feet are ugly mm-hmm. First and oh, foremost, yeah. that their feet are like they're deformed, they're ugly, that whatever it is. Do, do you get that a lot? And how do you deal with it? Uh, great question. Yes, uh, it has come up from time to time. Generally, if a person is coming to me for a session, they have a certain level of comfort because they know what they're in for. Right. They or even a trust, a like trust, you're the expert, exactly. so I'm yielding. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of times I'll get people say, oh, sorry, I haven't had a pedicure in a while. And mm-hmm. for me, it's it's completely irrelevant. I don't I don't have those hangups. Obviously, if I did, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> um, I, I have encountered people, though, that do exactly what you say, and that is feel that their feet are unattractive or 
whatever. There are some real issues around that. And those people tend to not want to volunteer for a session. But do you think, okay, so the vulnerability or the discomfort where someone says, oh, I don't want you to touch my feet. Is that rooted in kind of how it'll expose other areas of their body, right? Or, Or an emotional sensitivity that comes up from it? I mean, it's, it's almost like, So I was talking um, last week with a pelvic floor therapist, Mm -hmm. and she talked about, of course, this sort of center area where all of the muscles come together. And so for women, and as a woman, I've had this experience where you have like an intense emotional release, say, through sex. Mm -hmm. And and the point of the pelvic therapist doesn't have to be that, but but you know, you tend to have that. And I feel like there's these stories where, oh, okay, like as you know, the woman was crying during sex and you're like, well, yeah, there's this huge emotional release and things come up that I didn't expect. Is that part of, you know, the sensitivity of the foot? Absolutely. And, And I have experienced that with clients who have emotional things come up for yeah, sure Yeah, like there's yeah. a well in relaxing mm-hmm. you have you finally aren't holding on to whatever was right bothering you right there's also uh i i worked with a teacher um who's a shiatsu teacher and he actually worked on me more intensely than anyone i've ever been with uh, he liked to work at a pain threshold, he said, between 8 and 10. And oftentimes, <laughs> no, seriously, he was like, no, because he had this belief that um, our memories and our traumas are stored in our cells. Mm-hmm. And that only by working that intensely that it can physically release them and you almost like re-experience those emotional traumas and through that dispel them. I don't know if I fully believe it, but I would have... I, I I would get to the point of crying, and occasionally I it would even bring back specific memories that I hadn't fully processed, and then I had to confront consciously about them. Mm-hmm. It didn't like magically dispel them, but it was interesting how working with that intensity, like these emotions and these memories, came up for me to deal with. Have you experienced things like that in your reflexology work? Not so much in the reflexology work. Um, hearing what the story you described, I'm thinking more in terms of a really intense yoga practice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Especially in the Kundalini practice, we have uh, this idea of kriyas. Kriya is a set of postures, breath work, mantras that are all structured to have a, a specific result. Mm-hmm. So if we're working on a kriya for releasing anger, there may be some really intense physical movement where you are pushing your own body's threshold, and you are being encouraged to break through. You may cry, you may want to scream, you may want to have a release of some sort. Um, Whereas the reflexology model is founded primarily more on a relaxation model. And this is where that lighter touch comes into play. Because if you are being pushed to that high intensity pain threshold, you're not relaxing. That's a totally different paradigm that we're dealing with. And in the reflexology model, we want the body to relax because it's in that relaxation state that the body can heal and repair itself. Yeah, I was going to say, I've I've definitely had experiences, David, to your point about where it feels like it is living in you. And I've always described it almost like if you have a memory, um, a pathway, like a, a neuro pathway has been formed. And, um, and in order to kind of reroute it in your brain, uh, you do have to create like a new memory or like kind of reprocess it. I don't know. So, so, but I don't know that I need 
pain to necessarily get there. <laughs> it can happen through relaxation. I think any in a way, some you know, opening it up in some way. And and I have had those experiences. Like they do, they do stay with you in ways that you don't realize that create physical sensitivities or or like yeah, vulnerabilities where you go, well, don't touch my feet, or or you know, you flinch when a certain area is touched. Um, in my experience, anyway. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I w- okay. So, um, actually, could you define the Kundalini Yoga a little bit for us? I, I was I was just going to ask more about that because I've been practicing yoga for twenty years and I've barely done any Kundalini. But I was just at the Sedona Yoga Festival and I took this Kundalini class with this couple, this married couple from Russia, which made it all the more exotic because, like, they're a couple and they're talking about all this stuff and these funny accents. And the truth is, my only experience, like which is like almost nothing with Kundalini is just what I hear about like in the celebrity press. And I, all, all I can think of is like, and this is probably wrong in every way, Sting having <laughs> sex for hours at a time, something to do with <laughs> Kundalini yoga. And because of this, it's this mystery thing. Yeah. And I've never like explored it because yeah, like, you're like, uh, what does it mean? Yeah. So, so you bring up two really good points. Thank you for doing that. So yes, Kundalini, we're dealing, we're actually talking about two separate things here. Hmm. So there's the energy of kundalini, which is its own term. And then there's the practice of kundalini yoga. So if you think of, you're familiar with the various styles of yoga that are out there. There's Hatha, Shanga, Bikram. Yeah, I always forget how they're all different. But yeah, I think our listeners would agree. (laughs) They're as different as there are different forms of body work. You might get a deep tissue massage. You may get a... um, Salt scrub. There's all sorts of different styles, right? You go to a spa and you get body work. Well, you can go to a different yoga studio and have different types of yoga. So kundalini yoga, which is what I practice, has nothing to do with sexuality per se. It's not about trying to do anything specific in the realm of your sexual life. Mm -hmm. Having said that, the kundalini energy is the vital life force. So being the vital life force, of course, it's going to be connected to the energy of sex. It's part of our creative energy. It's the second chakra, if we're familiar, if I can throw that term out there. The mm-hmm. second chakra is the sacral chakra. It's connected with our sexual energy. It's, it's located at the area of our sexual organs, our endocrine glands, which are in you know women's, the ovaries, and men's, the testes. It's our sexual energy. There's no getting around it. But in kundalini yoga, what we're doing is we're moving the energy up the spine through these practices of postures, breath work, mantra, all of it combined to move the energy. It's not about localizing it in that one area. Mm -hmm. And, and the goal is to allow for you to expand in other ways than, than like say sexual arousal. Absolutely. It's, So kundalini is known as the yoga of awareness. It's about bringing your own inner awareness back into yourself. And by self, I mean into your own body, into your own mind, into your own spirit. It's very expansive. It's about clearing blocks. And those blocks are unique to each of us. We all are on our own healing journey. I have a question. Okay, so if it is the the kundalini and the energy does exist there, and when we feel sexual arousal desire there is a tendency to want to go outward with it, right? And so in right. some ways you're saying, okay, Kundalini's teaching you how to train it upward and, and within you. Right. It makes me think about 
you know, I had a show also about kind of a fixation or obsession I had on someone. And then I went, okay, well, why is that happening? How do I um, use it to my benefit instead of, say, pursuing that person doggedly when they've said no thanks? (laughs) (laughs) No, really, right? Like, I feel like we were like, I would say culturally, we're all struggling with that at some level, right? You go, well, I was rejected or I was. And, and I, what I came up with was, oh, I'm, I actually envy qualities that he has and I want those qualities. So in fact, I can develop that myself and I can exercise those. And then slowly my fascination kind of fell away a little bit. And that's not to say, you know, don't pursue relationships. No, no, no. <laughs> but but no, it I felt totally like, yeah, it felt like my own sort of home remedy version of Kundalini practice. <laughs> well, you brought awareness and that's yeah. the key. You brought the awareness back to yourself because every encounter we have, it's, it's a teaching moment. It's teaching us something about ourselves. You encountering that person is going to bring up different things than me encountering that person. Right. Right. Where I, right. I was like, I want to share my, my lower chakra energy with him. <laughs> and then he was like, no, thanks. I don't want your chakra energy. And then I was like, what do I do with it now? <laughs> right. So you channel it upward. You channel it into other expressions productive things yeah Yeah. it's interesting you talk about channeling it upward the the few sessions i've done in kundalini uh i haven't heard people talk about that but the two most interesting aspects that uh i found made it distinct for me were one the the breath work which Mm -hmm. is so intense and i i don't do like that in any other way i come from ashtanga which has a very you know particular focus on breath but a completely different kind of breath it's about creating this constant flow that is seamless so you almost don't know when the beginning and the end of the breath begin almost Mm -hmm. like when violinists and string players uh when they're bowing you don't know you shouldn't be able to hear when the bowing begins and ends unless it's intentional uh but with kundalini there is such punctuation and emphasis and it it changes things in your body. It is Absolutely. really intense, and in combination with and this is the, the the combination I found fascinating, the poses that you hold for so so long, it becomes painful, um, and it actually reminded me, uh, and like I I couldn't hold it as long as they wanted me to some of the times. And I would like to think of myself as someone well, who has a strong okay. practice. I was going to okay. say, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. But, yeah, that's but, the big thing. But you're, your own limits. Yeah. But you're really, at least in the classes I took, really pushing yourself to the edge of your ability. Um, I feel like we're seeing a common theme, David, with your, <laughs> with your practices. <laughs> like, and then I was pushed to the brink. <laughs> well, honestly, in some ways, it reminds me a little bit when um, uh, I'm having sex and specifically when I'm with someone... And you're not someone, allowed to come until she does? I know. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's not that. Actually, it's when I'm having sex with someone who I'm in... And this doesn't happen very often. But like when we have such extraordinary chemistry, we cannot keep our hands off of each other. And we keep on having sex over and over oh, again yeah. to the point where it is actually no longer pleasurable. Where we're doing it because we have almost an addiction to each other. And it almost becomes painful. And we're like, well, maybe they're still enjoying it. I don't know. We're just, we just have to like get back together again. Wow. No, that's really interesting. I, I can't 
say that I can't I know what you're talking about yeah. it reminds me of a friend's story once where she was like my pussy hurts I've been fucking so much <laughs> and, um, and you know she's married to this man now you know and, yeah. and they're yeah. and they're actually kind of pillars in their community it's beautiful uh, but I don't I don't, don't know one. that I've gone that far I have of course had sex over and over and over again with someone um, without um, hurting each other <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my question is what is for you, what is the extremes? What is that part of Kundalini Yoga? And do you see it as extremes or pushing yourself to an edge? That's It's really interesting that you, you're focused on this side of it. Because for me, it's always been about... The emphasis is always in every Kundalini practice. We are each our own teachers. So even if I'm the teacher in the front of the room, and I'm holding a posture for three minutes, and you can really only hold it for two then it's your obligation to listen to you and stop it too. You're not doing it wrong because yeah. you're not holding it three minutes or as, as long as the teacher's holding it. Can I yeah. ask you, I do feel a pride in being able to hold it longer and maybe that's the issue. That's our But it shows growth. Programming. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, v- well Sorry, I'm oh, just sorry. What was the question? You said well, like pride I, for me or pride? No, for, for me. Okay. Like I'll be doing it and I and I want to I want to see that I'm getting incrementally quote better. Mm-hmm. You would, and you feel that's that well, is sure. like a programming. If, if that's if you were coming to a class regularly and you were challenging yourself to say, okay, today I'm going to hold it ten seconds longer, and next week another ten seconds. If you set a goal for yourself, for sure, that's that's. Uh, but I liked you're touching logical. on yeah no, yeah. but but the concern of I need to be doing the three minutes. You well, don't uh, for for me, I have some teachers in uh, certain vinyasa practices who talk actively about ahimsa Mm -hmm. and about self-care and you are the only one who knows your body as well as you do and whatever i'm doing up here forget about it if it doesn't make sense to your body maybe it's just the kundalini teachers the 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 two that i've had um yeah that's like the most minimal experience but what was interesting was they actually talked about pushing yourself harder Hmm. taking yourself to your edge. It was part of the vocabulary in it. And I didn't know if that was commonly part of it, that you find something when you take yourself that far. That is certainly true, and I have experienced that, I will say. But again, it's your own edge. So there's an edge, a mental edge, and then there's a physical edge. So this is where discernment and really bringing that self-awareness back into your body and into yourself, recognizing what's an ego block mm-hmm. and what's a physical block. Mm. Yeah. Well, I went to a yoga class a few months back where um, I ended up having my period, but I was like, I'm starting, you know, I have to start my routine and I'm going. And I and it was a more intense class than I expected. And I just couldn't. And I finally just did the little, you know, fetal position, uh, <laughs> you know, and, I'm, and finally, you know, and. I, I was really grateful, actually, the teacher sat everyone's poses and while they were flowing, came over and showed me relaxing poses I could do and still mm-hmm. participate. And I ended mm-hmm. up having this really beautiful healing experience. Mm-hmm. I think I just bring that up to say like, absolutely right, that that there's so much variety mm-hmm. and either way going can yield something positive um, no matter yeah. what state you're in. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that goes back to wherever your limit is right now, whatever the reason, but but honoring that. Yeah, and I've I've explored other styles of yoga, and just based on my own knowledge about the practices and about that, n- knowing that I'm my own teacher, I know that if a teacher, it, let's say it's a totally different, I've I've experimented a lot recently with hot yoga, mm. and those classes can get really intense. Yeah, 
intense in a different way than mm-hmm. the kundalini intensity. So I will bring myself back into a relaxing posture mm. because I know that's what I need at that moment. It's not because I can't do the other thing if I really wanted to push it. Mm-hmm. But for myself that night, I wasn't interested in the the ahimsa, you know, that that self-harming Right, right, right. You know, it was more about relaxing and about experiencing the healing as opposed to the pushing that really hard edge for me. That's an interesting idea of choosing like, hey, I want to try what my limits are versus, you know, no, I'm not. I don't need that right now. So I have a question. Yes. This is only a slight pivot towards sex. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When I first started yoga, the, the, the woman who brought me into Ashtanga told me, that she sometimes, not very often, but she had experienced the ability to actually bring herself to orgasm by practicing Ashtanga. Have either of you guys ever experienced this or even heard of a woman getting herself there? Yes, and I love that you brought this up. We're going to take a mini break. Okay. <laughs> we are going to come back to answer exactly that question about you have to come back can, and hear the answer. can ladies orgasm uh, doing <laughs> yoga. And also come back to, I want to talk about the ears and hands and feet and how they're all different the as well. <laughs> we'll be right back. You're listening to TNA Talk Sex. If you all have any questions, you can write us at advice at tatalksex.com. Uh, David Rodwin, you can find him at jadelake.com, performing at the Fringe Fest this year in June uh, with his show Fuck Tinder. And of course, Christina Crabtree, who is our expert on uh, foot, hand, ear, reflexology, kundalini yoga. You can find her at Touch Balance Yoga on Facebook. We'll be right back. Welcome back to TNA Talk Sex. I'm T. A has abandoned us for parties in Europe. <laughs> I'm sure she will be back. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, I'm holding down the fort. And David is our lovely co-hosting guest today. Yeah. And uh, we're back with Christina, um, who is filling us in on how to be more rounded individuals in our bodies. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware that's what you're doing. but you are. <laughs> So thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, so great question, David. Um, you mentioned about orgasming during yoga i have a little anecdote and then i'd love to hear what you think about it christina i i was in a hot yoga class Uh and um at the end of the practice they have this like the the it's like making an s sound but you're like pushing the air out um it's like a like you do that and you're flexing your um diaphragm basically like your stomach muscles Uh and i found that when i was doing that it was essentially kind of making a kegel happen and then i was doing these kegels and and because it was rhythmic i was close to orgasm now i felt like maybe my muscles weren't strong enough to make it happen to like peak but yeah i was totally feeling like pleasure arousal and i just went with it because i was like this is awesome (laughs) 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 i'm like this is so awesome and i was just sort of like smiling to myself and i just thought i'm just gonna relish this i mean what a treat and privilege and surprise to to be able to give myself that that's hysterical and also do yeah and also like do i i don't need to orgasm or like peak in order to just be like feeling a wave of pleasure in my body right right. christina have you had experiences like that 
or anecdotes from others. Yeah, tell us about your. <laughs> Especially Kundalini, because you're yeah. talking about breath. So, work. okay. So, for myself personally, yes, working with the breath, I think, is an incredible practice for just enhancing your own um, ability to recognize how you can move energy and therefore pleasure around your body. Mm-hmm. And the more you practice, um, in Kundalini, there we have this uh, idea of the locks of the body. They're called the bandhas. And, and other types of yoga may talk about them. But in Kundalini, we often um, do something called the root lock, which is a squeezing mm-hmm. of the, um, the sphincter, the anus, mm-hmm. the Kegel muscles, essentially. It's the yeah. lower pelvic floor that you're squeezing. The mulabandha. Right? The mulabandha. Well, mulabandha is, the, right is the great lock. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, it's mulbant. Mulbant, mul is the root. So yes, it's the root lock. And it's that lower root chakra energy that you're, you're squeezing it up. And then there's another lock in the diaphragm and then another one in the neck. So if you think mm-hmm. of it on hydraulic pump, you're squeezing these locks in order to move the energy upward. The more you get used to doing that root lock while doing certain breath work, it's, it's a movement of the energy. It is mm. not meant to be a sexual experience but in your own practice at home and yet (laughs) you may play i mean and and there's there are lots of books about um you know i'm no expert in this sure at this point but there is a lot you could do with the breath well sure and as you experience with just the the clenching in a rhythmic way that's essentially what sex is. Yeah. Well, I was well, just going to well, say, there's it also... depends on your perspective. <laughs> no, but, but exactly. There's sort of this nebulous area where it's like, well, if you felt pleasure, then it was some, then it's sexual. And right. if it's sexual, then that's inappropriate. Or, and it's like, well, is, is just because you felt something, yeah. you know, do, do we now define that as like the category of sex? And then does that become, in a, you know, is it in... A, so I think there's a lot of leeway, which is kind of my point, which is I felt pleasure uh-huh. it felt nice i it made me but feel good pleasure it wasn't like someone was uh rubbing your mm, i don't know bicep oh i see what you mean yeah well it is it is no yeah it, it is the muscles around my clitoris and yeah. my right and, and vaginal entrance and stuff like that yeah. so but but that's but i go i mean then i i start getting a little more abstract in the idea mm-hmm. of like sexual connection i mean even when you have a partner you know you're playing right and yeah. you're you're I don't know. You're offering each other pleasure. I, I think that actual sex, in some ways, you're entering each other's psyche. And, and I've had a lot of conversations with a friend about, you know, like, when do you let someone in and when don't you? And I'm like, you know, when I do let certain people in, I know mm-hmm. that they're going to kind of stay with me a little bit. Like, they're mm-hmm. mentally with me. I mean, there's still partners that I think about who were one night stand, right? Uh-huh. Um but knowing how involved I am with them, I also categorize them in my psyche, I guess. So, uh, like what role they're going to play. And th- this is probably obvious in some ways, but like boys and girls are different when it comes to sex in so many yeah. different ways. And around this question of breath work in yoga specifically and its energy or uh, sexual side effects, per- perhaps. Um, I'm really curious about the genesis around some of these things. Now, personally, I've never experienced really anything sexual or sensual even in 20 years of practicing yoga. Um, I I felt energy and power in different kinds of ways, activated in very specific kinds of ways, but never anything sexual in any way. Um, 
at the same time, uh, and a lot of people I, I think don't know very much about the history of yoga, but um, I was just talking with uh, this 98-year-old practitioner, this yogi uh, named Tao. And she was talking about how when she grew up in India, when she was a child, when she was five years old, she saw a bunch of boys on the beach doing all these poses and things. She thought that was really neat. And she came home and she told her mom she wanted to do gymnastics like the, those boys were. And her mom was like, that isn't gymnastics. That's yoga. And girls are not allowed to do yoga. And... Maybe it's rooted in the fact that women feel pleasure doing yoga. Is that what you're getting at? No, no, no. What what I'm curious uh, about is Kundalini has a long history. It's been around for, I don't know exactly how long, but certainly centuries. And I don't know if women were um, excluded from yoga practice for that entire time. Maybe it was a a modern convention sometime, somehow happened in Victorian era when the British like the came British, to yeah. India. No, I'm, I'm serious. I, I, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm very curious to find out what the history of women's participation in yoga has been over time. But um, from her direct experience, women were not allowed to practice the same kind of yoga the boys were. So here's the, the, the larger question. Kundalini may have been developed by men, practiced by men, and suddenly now women are participating in the practice as well they may be getting different things out of it than may have actually originally it was designed for. Um, Or, yeah, the knowledge of what the result is. In fact, the results might be a bit different for women. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Right, then then Um, is kind of expected in their philosophy. Yeah, and I don't Hmm. actually have any points. I just, I have questions. Uh Uh-oh. yeah, now I want to get online and like start <laughs> start researching this. Well, stuff. and and I I might also add just to clarify too, um, the specific type of Kundalini yoga that I practice is Kundalini yoga as taught by Yogi Bhajan, and okay. Yogi Bhajan was a yogi who came to the states, nineteen sixty nine, and he is the one who sort of um, presented these kriyas, mm-hmm. these specific types of meditations and mantras. And it's very different from other types of things that out there that may call themselves kundalini. Mm-hmm. So this is where you have to get really clear on yeah. the term yeah. kundalini. Um, again, so kundalini yoga, the way I practice it, it's been very women-centric for the last 30 years. Sure. And in fact, Yogi Bhajan himself was one who often said that women are many times more powerful than men energetically. Uh And so there's a lot of honoring of women. And yet at the same time, there are certain practices um, that are more exclusively for women, just with that understanding that women's energy centers are a little different. Women's capacity for intuition is different. Women's bodies are different. Well, even like my yoga experience with with my period. Yeah, Yeah. the cycle Mm -hmm. and and them going, well, these are better positions for you right now. And and these will relax these muscles. These will center you. Yeah, Yeah, very specifically female. Right. And and often most most kundalini yoga teachers will at the beginning of the class say, if you're on the first three days of your moon cycle, don't do breath of fire, which is one of these really intense breath patterns Uh because it's going to intensify that flow. Yeah. And for those first couple of days, you don't need to intensify that. <laughs> wow. It's already yeah. intense. Right. Yeah. So exactly. you would do a more um, soothing, long, deep breathing mm. throughout the, the class. So my emotional projection onto that idea, <laughs> David, is like, yeah, I mean, I, I said it already, but, you know, I can't help but think about 
wow, where we've all gone with, you know, whatever industrial, like Victorian era, this kind uh-huh. of idea of sexual repression and, and confining it. And I just go, yeah, you know, anything that involves women experiencing pleasure is like, yeah. you're told it's bad. I can't help but go, you know, well, you can't, you, you know, it looks like she's smiling too much. Maybe she's feeling stimulation and might try and have sex with those boys. Get her inside. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. No more yoga for her. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot, there's a long history of cultural differences. There's, yeah. There's so much there. And India's is vast. India's spiritual traditions are vast. Yeah, and there regional. are many, many different lineages of yoga in India. Yeah. And different lineages have different practices, different traditions. So yes, historically, you may see that many of the um, most well-known yogis were men, but it doesn't mean necessarily that women were excluded. Right. So on that note, I'm going to shift back to, yeah. I, I was curious about, okay, if you are doing reflexology <laughs> with ears, feet, hands, how are the three different? What does, you know, the ear offer hmm. um, in relation to the body versus the, the feet? Right. And then, and the same with the hands. So the school of reflexology that I studied at, uh, is called the American Academy of Reflexology. And the founder of that school is a wonderful, wonderful teacher named Bill Floco. Bill was the first one to really integrate the three maps. Prior to Bill, most schools of reflexology focused exclusively on the feet. And feet are wonderful. You can get a lot of benefit from working the feet. But one thing Bill discovered is that by working the three areas within a, one session, you multiply the benefits. So, for example, you may have a reflex point for your stomach on your hand and on your foot and on your ear. And if you're having an issue going on with your stomach or your digestion, you're going to want to work all three of those areas to have a shorter duration of that issue, to have a quicker um, maybe reduction in pain, just to increase the blood flow to that area, the nerve um, sensitivity to that area. You want to enhance the effect by using all three areas. So that's the first reason we do all three. Um, The hands and feet are laid out pretty similarly to each other in terms of uh, we have 10 fingers, we have 10 toes, we have the palm of the hand, we have the sole of the foot. They're pretty similar layouts. So if you look at the map and if you compare the hand and foot maps, you're going to see that if you look at the fingers and the toes, the reflex areas are going to be similar. You're going to see the eyes, ears, brain on those locations. Now, when you look at the ear, it's a whole different thing. And the map of the ear was first discovered by a French uh, doctor by the name of Noget. And I believe it was in the 1950s. Don't quote me on that. But he was the first to discover, and he was using a tool where there was an electrical impulse being sent to different organs. And he could see that by stimulating specific points, it was having an effect at a different location in the body. And then a couple years later, Chinese researchers verified those points and then found even more points. Mm -hmm. So now if you look at a map of the ear, there's upwards of three to 500 points on the ear alone. So you can get very, very precise (laughs) using implements. For example, acupuncturists may use a needle or a seed on a little Band-Aid. You may see people walking around with those. Mm. And all that seed is doing is applying direct pressure to a specific point. Mm. Now, with reflexology, I'm using my fingers to apply pressure. So I may not get as 
fine of a pinpoint um, exactitude, but I'm working the entire area. And by working the entire area for several minutes or longer, it's achieving the same results. And I'm working in the broader area. So if, mm. again, coming back to the stomach issue, I, I know where the point for the stomach is in the ear, I would work that point. Mm. Now, your question to you about what are the benefits of the ear, one thing that we have found is that for structural issues, say back pain, working the ears is the best place to work first. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, sciatic nerve pain, People, a lot of people complain of having shooting pain, sciatic pain. There are points on the ears that you can hold either for yourself or for a partner that can help to um, minimize those symptoms. And I've even experienced when working with a client, I'll use my mom as an example. She's somebody who has frequent pain. She's had back pain. I can even sense through my fingertips which side of her back is spasming just based on the sensation I'm feeling in her ears. Wow. Can I... Uh, Oh, David? Well, I I was going to say, you make me feel very clumsy. So (laughs) as a massage therapist, the second to last thing I always do when I'm giving a full massage is the ears. And um, I picked that up uh, from the very first massage I received from this woman named Anastasia in Santa Monica. And no one that I remember had ever touched my ears in my entire life. Wow. And it was just sort of, it, it was shocking that she went there. And I was like, what? And then when I was able to relax into it, I was like, that was amazing. I mean, like, people touch, you, you shake hands with people. Our feet are always touching the ground. They're, but our ears just don't touch things or are touched. So when I had this experience, I was like, I have to make that part of my practice when I began actually giving massage. That said, the I, I had no idea there were 500 different points. I feel like uh, I'd like... I'm a cat yeah, at a novice. computer keyboard <laughs> who's just like touching the keys. Like, <laughs> those are not words that I'm typing. They're letters, yeah, but they're not words. Okay, that yeah. reminds me of, uh, I've shared this story before on past episodes, but for different reasons every time. Um, I I was I had a French lover at one uh-huh. point and uh-huh. <laughs> we're in a sexual position and I uh-huh. said, yeah, and I said, uh, lick my ear or like, you know, yeah, yeah, lick yeah. my ear. And, and he heard, all of a sudden he's like, bite it pulling my hair or something i said i said what are you doing he goes you said eat your hair (laughs) i said lick my ear my ear and he's like oh oh (laughs) first of all i always uh usually tell the story in the context of admiring him for just going for it (laughs) and supporting me in my needs (laughs) to pleasure me (laughs) but in this context it makes me think of um you know, seeking out a relaxation that I only get from my ears. Mm. And then I think, you know, Christina, I would love your opinion on it. Uh, you know, I, if I'm honest, even with, you know, starting doing this podcast, um, the history of my sexual journey, like I, I do seek my relaxation and um, my these sorts of things, like I'm going to get my ears rubbed, my feet will get touched, my back will get rubbed if I have sex. Right. And so, so I, in many ways I would say, and I'm, I've evolved more out of it, but I think I came from this place of, well, that's where I get those from. Mm-hmm. And so I need to find a partner to have sex with. I need to find someone to give me that release hmm. in the, right. op- you know, the opposite sex. And, and listening to you makes me go, uh Oh, 
You can just go to a professional. <laughs> well, should you? Could you know? Like, and and how much are we relying too much maybe on the partners? And then you know, should we? As is it our responsibility as lovers to have that skill set? Um, or or is it you know preventive care to kind of take care of yourself? I don't know. Just what does that bring up for you? Well, I mean, touch therapy is amazing because of the element of touch, right? As yeah. humans, we need touch. We've, we've all heard of these studies where babies w- were left untouched and, and the traumatic effect, effects that had on their development mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the point where they had to stop that study. They could never replicate it because yeah, it's considered yeah. inhumane. Right. Oh, right. So yeah. this notion of touch is, is vital. As human beings, we need touch. So... Yes, for some people, maybe the only avenue to get that sort of therapeutic healing touch is in the sexual context. But maybe that's a matter of we just haven't been trained in all these other ways that you can get sort of that relaxation response without necessarily needing the sexual component. Well, and it's also interesting that there's no stigma whatsoever in our society right now about paying someone to touch you in what could be considered intimate areas, whether it's the feet, the hands, or the rest of the body. Well, I think there's no stigma anymore. But, I, you know, there is there was a specific movement to make, to almost, I don't know, democratize massage uh-huh. sure. in America uh-huh. that I would say was around the 50s, 60s, yeah. where prior to that, that was taboo as well. That was, you know, well, I, and, I, and it was the shift of, like, the 50s housewife being allowed to get a massage. Mm-hmm. I actually was reading about that, that there was this, yeah, break point where it was like, no, no, no. But then, you know, once that started spreading, it became a little more ubiquitous and acceptable. I would argue it's gone in different cycles, in mm-hmm. different circles. If you go mm-hmm. back to the 20s, there actually was an entire um, w- world around body work that was accepted. It wasn't equal between the sexes. And if you go back to the late 19th century, as you may know, uh, physicians... Uh, were taking on clitoral stimulation as a way to yeah. uh, treat hysteria. Right, so, which I always laugh because I go, well, of course hysterical. she was hysterical. <laughs> you weren't letting her get off ever in any way. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so there, it, it was once again a legitimate form of paying yeah. someone to give touch, a, a very specific sexual touch that they didn't acknowledge as such. Right. But, but I, I think we've gone through different cycles, even just in our own society over the centuries of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable to pay someone to do right. for, mm. your, for your touching mm-hmm. needs. Sure. And I'll just emphasize that I'm sure you've experienced this in your massage training, that in our, my reflexology training, there's a lot of discussion about the ethics of touch, mm-hmm. what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, mm-hmm. and really setting those boundaries clearly up front mm. for, for many reasons. I mean, there's just too many reasons I, to list, but... Because of the history of massage, having sort of that shady past mm-hmm. where there's the massage parlor and present, and present. And present there's still very much that um, that issue, which is why there are strict licensing rules and why there are. Um, but but it's you know, also why you have to go through training. It's an interesting societal thing as well. You know, in, in another country, um, the idea of a full release massage is not considered indecent. It is actually considered part of the culture, and that is part of the massage, and there's nothing dirty about it. But you're also hitting on, is that, the is that and that is interesting, but is that even the goal, right? There's so many different types of mm-hmm. mas- massage, and so maybe it's setting the intention. And I think often there's this, right, this assumption that it has to, 
that that is the arc or the direction mm-hmm. but but something like we're discussing reflexology you're you're you can have these emotional releases right that mm-hmm. the things you've been holding on to stress reduction I, it's a sort of a sliding scale mm. right and i think it's about being cl- very clear about intentions up front mm-hmm. and so in my work you know i've been fortunate to never have encountered a client who had other expectations because mm-hmm. i think i've done my due diligence to make it really clear up front this is what this is this mm-hmm. is my repertoire it's strictly you know the, yeah, these my are clients, my goals with my this clients work. are clothed mm-hmm. the only article of clothing removed is a sock so that i can access their feet <laughs> and their hands and then their ears so mm-hmm. you know there really is no disrobing and i think that's yeah. the main one of the main differences between massage and reflexology in terms of just setup mm-hmm. right and, um, and so right. your work leaning to, or your work is more about healing and yeah I mean, it's it's about that, relaxation and about facilitating the person's own body's healing that's mm-hmm. really is i see myself yeah. as a facilitator mm-hmm. i'm helping that person to achieve a deep state of relaxation where their body can do the healing work yeah yeah, yeah. we were, we were I, talking about that yeah this is yeah this is a little bit of a, a left field but um I wondered if you had any thoughts on plantar's fasciitis. And uh. I bring that up <laughs> because I was with two people who were suffering from it. And then uh-huh. one person mentioned uh-huh. a drastic surgery where they cut the muscle um, and just see th- these sort of like escalations of it. And I actually had it when I was much younger. I found that yoga recovered it because of the muscles in my feet. I don't know. Do you, Can you talk a bit about muscle strength and feet? And, and I don't know, you know, how, how can we maintain our feet? And I have one very specific therapeutic question as well after okay. this. Okay. Well, so yes, I've encountered clients who have that. And I've actually experienced it a couple of times in the past too. And I've noticed it's when I'm wearing the wrong shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrong mm-hmm. shoes are mm. probably the biggest culprit <laughs> for most people when it comes to foot issues, foot pain. Okay, I love wearing pretty shoes, though. Yeah. Are, you know, and I'll, I'll usually I minimize it by like, okay, an evening in those shoes, then maybe right. the next day I wear my sneakers or something. But uh-huh. I mean, do we need to be wearing sneakers all the time? <laughs> Are sneakers the, and is that even the answer? Are we supposed to be wearing flat slippers? I have a story on that. You know, again, everybody's body's different. So body mechanics are different. How you carry your weight, how your body alignment. You know, this could get us into alignment issues with chiropractic. And, you know, how you're distributing the weight of your body onto your feet Mm. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, In my case, I was wearing flat flip-flops for the entire summer. That was my problem. And Ah. that's when I started to notice the pain. Yeah. So no arch support. Right. Uh That's just kind of a given that that's going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, and does and is there sort of a healing in reflexology that when someone has that issue? I mean, is it I mean, obviously stay off of it. But, <laughs> um, you know, are you able to sort of massage that area or or help? I don't know, help them. Well, it's, find an, awareness? it's, it's an inflammation in the fascia, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to address that with a really light touch. Again, this is not a time when you want deep touch. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Any attention you give your feet during a time when they are in need is going to be benef- it's going to be beneficial yeah. and then doing preventative if you know you're somebody who can't give up your pretty shoes then perhaps mm. consider more <laughs> regular self-care for your feet yeah. uh-huh. to prevent I, something down the road because what happens is most women it's in their middle age to older years that suddenly that's when they have all the foot issues the, and they're ooh. having but surgeries and they're having, you know, a lot of issues that 
resulted from the fallout. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the results. Yeah. Oh boy. So I, I was in the airport just uh, two weeks ago, and I was going from one terminal to the other, and there was a um, uh, a flight attendant in front of me, and she had all of her bags rolling along, and then she stops, and she's dressed. I don't know. She, 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 it's, for some reason, it seemed like her uniform was sexier than others. It was like a kind of a short <laughs> pencil skirt. And I actually wasn't sure if it was her uniform or if she changed out of it. But while she was there in the hallway, going from terminal to terminal, she stops. She takes off her flats or whatever she was you know, wearing. And she puts on these four-inch stilettos. And then I see her continue out. And I was like... Where is she going? And what is she going to do? And who is she going to meet? And I concocted this entire fantasy about how, like, there are some secret rooms that the pilots have, and she's going to meet a pilot in one of those rooms. They're going to have some incredible sex. And she's just like, and she, she was a very attractive woman, but it was just so fascinating. She took this moment, and in a public space, yeah. uh, not, not a well trafficked public space, but a public space, did this routine, and suddenly she continued on transformed right. um and and i th- i think this could lead us back a little bit to the idea of foot fetish Be- no no <laughs> it but, sounds like you well, have okay. one <laughs> well, no i i actually don't because i've rarely ever seen this and like I, i've rarely ever dated women who even have high heels you know i i, I date uh-huh. modern dancers who like walk around barefoot most of the time yeah um and i did however have a roommate who had something of a foot fetish, but it was a little bit more of a shoe fetish ah. than a foot fetish. He had a mother, quite frankly, who was very much into fashion. And he would be at a party and he would see someone and he would make some comment about their shoes. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, okay, I, I, I guess, the, are those nice shoes? And like, I have no perception about shoes. I have no interest in shoes. And he would go around, the first thing he would spot on a woman is her shoes. And he talked to me about it once a little bit. And for him, the shoes were part of it. It, it partially projected what this woman thought of herself and what this woman wanted to tell the world about herself. I'm like, I can't believe you're seeing an entire narrative. <laughs> and just like, I just walk on those things. Well, uh, maybe that's the point. Well, that's part of it. And, and Are you caring for it? And I, I don't really get a lot of pedicures, that sort of thing. But, but it's like does it, that that does say a certain level of self care. But I mean, it's one way of expressing that. Yes, hmm. uh, it's also for him. It wasn't actually just about the feet. And he 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 went rhapsodic on me once, where it's like depending on the height of the shoe and the heel, it changes the way a woman stands. Her calf is actually shaped differently. Her leg and her butt actually take on a different form and when a woman knows how to wear the right shoe for her body it accentuates everything sexual in their lower half for him and i was like i have never picked up on any of this in my entire life his <laughs> eyes are going to all these things I'm like wonderful i'm looking at a girl's eyes and her boobs and her butt i'm really basic in some ways um, sure no but it's interesting when you and this is maybe even to my point of this you know the joke at the top of the show but like that there is sort of a science or a rhyme or reason behind it. And we all construct ways of reading and interpreting people. Yes. But Uh many men are not aware of this stuff. I think many women dress, especially shoes for other women who take greater note of this, generally speaking. And because he took such note of, especially shoes, but all fashion, he actually got a reputation within our cohort literally the majority of people who knew him thought he was gay and that he was in the closet and he wasn't dealing with that. 
I don't believe he is. Um, but it was interesting just the fact that he was vocal about his interest in women's feet and fashion and foot fashion. Yeah. That people um, started making judgments about him, actually. Right. Mm. Well, you know what? I, I was going to say, I, and I don't, I don't think that I'm. Mm, I'm intrigued by it. Like, I there's an element of me. I'm dating some, or I went on a few dates with someone where that was uh, something he noticed, right? Mm. And he's he likes the feet. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go get a pedicure now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh oh, like I, you know, I'm now they're being on display uh, in a way that I never focused much on. But I'm like, what? Like, yeah, like I want you to play with my feet. That's great. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like any any area of your body. Like, if someone appreciates it and puts attention into it, it makes you feel good. But and what, a foot massage, a foot, you know, stimulation is is like there's a, there are positive effects throughout the yeah. body that come from it. But what about? Have you ever dealt with any hardcore foot fetishist? Because no, I, I, I haven't. But. Uh, uh, right, like where there's I, there's a need for it to say get off or something like that. But w- when when you say get off, I mean literally get off yeah. onto feet. Right, right, and right. I, I did not know this existed. Like no, and, and the face that that you're making right <laughs> now is hysterical because no, listen, I'm a guy. I watch porn. I like porn. There are a lot of different kinds of porn that I like, uh, and occasionally. We, on different porn sites, they will suggest things like, yeah. you might like this video. You go, maybe I will. Uh, I, I've gone down different avenues. I'm well, like, curious. Or, or sometimes never, they're like know. compilations. And you're like, there's this one you know, model, performer you like. You're like, oh, I would like to see the different scene she does. And then there's one scene that involves her feet and literally coming on the feet. I'm like, oh, God, why would anyone want to? I'm so confused. Why? Who? What does that serve? And I, I just find it, I find it baffling okay can i say something and i hope we're you know i hope we're not corrupting like your message christina Um, we appreciate you being present for the conversation well let me let me say this i i have i've had these moments where it hasn't happened a lot but sometimes you use your feet to touch genitalia or really yeah i have (laughs) you know but but yeah like it's sort of where they are right and so i want to touch you and say you're across the bed i will reach out with my foot like and and go for the junk I have. Okay. I have. You can stroke it with the top uh, of the foot. You, you can. And I haven't. I don't feel I've done it with an intention of like, my foot is coming towards you. Like, that's going to get you off. But it's, it is, it is another part of my body that I can use to create pleasure for you. The, and so I think there is an element of, I mean, I'm pretty open. I have mm-hmm. a show about it. Right. So, so my, <laughs> my do view my body in all the ways that I can use it. I mean, look. Maybe this is jumping around, but it feels good if a man uses the top of his head to rub on your on your clitoral area, right? That doesn't happen a lot, but I've had guys do it, and it's okay. like, oh my god, that's amazing, okay. right? And so that's unconventional and surprising. Yeah. And so the same way that using the foot to say stroke that area yeah. is surprising. Um, yeah, I, I've definitely I've definitely done it. I will say, I guess I have used my feet, <laughs> uh, but the only time was in a public setting. At a, no, no oh, at, a, at a table <laughs> underneath the table. I've never, I've never done under the table, and I think it's because I'm embarrassed by the cliche. To be quite, fair. I'm sorry. Like, I yeah. feel like there's sort of movies in the like it trended in movies in the 80s or something, <laughs> and like so my this early early 90s. Yeah. yeah, I feel like yeah, yeah, or, or early 90s. I feel like I like my early childhood. I remember seeing movies that this happened in. Right, I think I think L.A. Story. It happens. Okay. Right, like there's sort of I can think of like three movies where like the woman right. plays footsie with the guy under the table, and out of that, like I don't want to be 
cliche. I don't want it to be inauthentic. So I've yeah. never done that. But for me, it was just that my, my arms couldn't reach. And this is something that I could do that would be but there uh, you go. concealed. It's functional. The same um, with yeah. my feet. But, but I don't think situations. of it as, as a foot fetish thing. And it also didn't develop into a thing. You know, right. as I've gotten older, there are things that were not in my repertoire or not of interest to me that I like I experimented with once or was honestly kind of foisted upon me once and I was like oh my gosh that actually feels kind of good let's have more of that and now it's become like an intricate part of my repertoire like I didn't realize until much later in life that I have very sensitive nipples Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy that uh, erotic touch Uh Um, now when I was younger, I, I I haven't had this experience in I don't know how many years, but like when I was in my 20s, there were one or two times where like I was at a table in public with people and it was a group setting. And I don't know why, for some reason, we did not get up from the table and go and like feet were used as <laughs> as long arm implements. Well, they are long arm implements. But, but it didn't become like a thing like, oh, I love that thing when I do her with my feet. Right. So somehow I didn't develop that that. I guess, but this brings us back to, I think for me, this conversation and this episode and show, you know, is about, I think, opening up people's awareness to feet, hands, ears in a way that, (laughs) you know, but in a way that is like, yeah, it's not a fetish to pay attention to them. Uh It doesn't have to. I get that there is a fetish out there, but it's it's um, what is it to connect more with those? And what are the um, positive benefits that can come from that? And Christina, of course, has illustrated a lot of them. And then only now in this conversation. I know. I took it there. No, no. I'm I'm glad you did because because it's bringing up like memories for me where I go, oh, yeah, like that's the point is. It, the feet and the ears and the hands actually offer lots of opportunities in all contexts. Yeah. And and what a shame to not explore them. Yeah. You know, for fear of being labeled a foot fetishist. <laughs> well, yeah, and and, and, and it's what, what's interesting is like other body parts have been fetishized in different ways, and I think generally speaking, there are some things that have become more acceptable than others, yeah. which even 20 years ago were considered almost weird or taboo. Or are you thinking you like like the booty? Actually, I feel like that was a wave. I, I feel like What when, about the booty? Well, the way I feel like the Kim Kardashian kind of, you know, bigger butt is beautiful thing. I mean, even no. a few, I would, but I would say, of course, men are always turned on by the butt. However, I remember distinctly a shift culturally mm-hmm. from girls in my class feeling insecure about their quote big butts and everyone wanting these like I don't even know what they wanted I don't know little little tight I don't know yeah right and and now it's like you know I feel in you know not I don't but but women are insecure that their butt's not enough yeah I don't have you know I don't have one of those (laughs) you know butt implants are on the rise right Uh like what's happening no, I, I I was actually thinking of, and I apologize, but in, in the extreme graphic sex version, um, where a man comes on or in a woman, oh yeah, um, is something that's been explored uh, in pornography over the last mm-hmm. you know so many decades, and let's that say. shifts too, and, and it's been shifting. You know, what's and, taboo, and, what's and, not, and like what's you know, normal. What is cool, and I'm talking about both in terms of porn and what people actually do in their own homes, which can be distinct in a substantial way, but like. Many people, let's say, in my circle, have no problem with a guy coming onto a woman's breasts. Let's just 
an example. Uh-huh. Um, but if you then said, well, how about if we come on your feet? It's like, what? Oh, right. Why are you that doing immedi- that? It's like. Ah, it, yeah, it, that it, immediately it's weird or yeah. creepy or inappropriate. Yeah. And somehow like. Well the, said, the, the, the David. The feet have a very specific thing. And some people like, I, and I don't have it. I don't know why people do. But like, then again, I do like coming on particular parts of the body. And I don't know how I developed that. Right. And, uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, really push your repertoire tonight <laughs> at home with your partners and try a little come on the feet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? I uh, Oh, no, I, I completely lost my thought. It was so well, thrilling, your discussion. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad it's a thrilling discussion. I, I actually wanted to take things back to a therapeutic realm. Uh, but, but, but I know we're, 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 if I could. Can yes. I? And then, and then we'll wrap up. And then up. we'll wrap okay. up. So we're ending it, in, hopefully, in a therapeutic realm. The feet, and, and actually, I'll reflexology, because I've done some work uh, in hands as well. And I, I'm clumsy. I'm just, like, feeling around to see if I can get anything to work. And I've done a tiny bit of craniosacral. The question is migraines. I have so many friends, especially women, who suffer from migraines, some of whom go through... Uh, periods where they have them multiple times a week, it, 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 it destroys their ability to work, to be sexual with their partners. It, it affects their life so deeply. Um, and I have had success clumsily, sometimes working on feet, sometimes hands, sometimes head and ears. Um, do you have any suggestions? Have you found success that you've been able to address migraines directly? Because my impression is people, no one really fully understands migraines yet. And I'm curious about your perspective, about what you feel like you can do, and if there's anything people who are listening to this, even on their own, can do. Well, for sure. I've experienced migraines myself. And at the times that I have experienced them, they've been typically hormonal. Mm. So mm. birth control pills, things like that, that change a woman's hormonal cycle mm-hmm. often can trigger them, as well as things like food sensitivities or, you know, reactions to yeah. substances. You know, it could be all sorts of things. So migraines are, are varied in terms of their root causes, mm-hmm. um, in terms of how to help deal with the pain once it's onset. Yeah. Uh, most people who suffer from migraines will tell you that it's a lot harder to stop it once it's really going. Mm-hmm. And even even Western medication will tell you it's best to take it the first sign. Yep. Because right. once it's really going, it's it's a lot harder to bring that pain down. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who's a chronic sufferer, one thing that I suggest is a more regular self-care preventative treatment protocol. Yeah. And mm-hmm. anything you do to minimize the stressors if mm-hmm. you know what they are a lot of people with migraines kind of know what their triggers are yeah right if you have a conversation if, they're actually yeah, they're saying like it. yeah know. i know i drank red wine and it had the sulfites and it was the sulfites and i knew it or it was that time of the month and yeah you know but, but they didn't take right. the action to do preventive care exactly. and so maybe it's just but, that awareness yeah. of taking those steps i yeah. also know a lot of people who have migraines who are continually experimenting yeah. i have one friend who's like i'm drinking coconut water two gallons of it every day and i think it's making a difference but i'm not sure yeah and they keep on trying and that like the, the, their own body is a mystery especially around migraines yeah is I'm going to any... make another non-medical projection. This is T talking, <laughs> not to be confused with our, our expert. But I think I'm just going to throw it out there. Stress levels, I think, go ignored in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And people are going, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not alleviating 
your daily schedule. Mm-hmm. So you can down as much coconut whatever <laughs> as you want, but you're not you're not addressing the actual problem. Yeah. You're trying to um, aid the problem. Maybe you're saying, maybe you're avoiding it because you feel you can't change the mm-hmm. actual source problem. Um, but I would encourage you to be honest with yourself and try and find, mm-hmm. okay, that is the source problem. So uh, how can I accommodate that? Rather than, it's almost like the Kundalini conversation, right. rather than running outside of your sphere and mm-hmm. like searching for the Band-Aid that's going to make this go away. Yeah. It's like, what is what is your daily cycle? What is your routine? What is mm-hmm. um, What are alterations you can make to support it? I mean, like if I'm working on a film and we've talked about, you know, different projects I've done. I have to eat superfoods and stuff to avoid. Like my nervous system is very sensitive. Mm. I get overwhelmed easily. Mm-hmm. I, I now accommodate for that, and mm-hmm. I didn't know that for years. Mm. But now I know. Like, I'm, if I'm not going to get a lot of sleep on on that set, I'm mm-hmm. going to get weird and snippy and all the stuff. So I do things to enhance and kind of prevent. Excellent point. Yeah, or yeah. fortify me. Yeah. Right. To face you, it. You've brought your level of self awareness of self care. So diet nutrition is huge when it comes to any sort of ongoing condition. And and something like a migraine certainly is affected by what we put in the body. Um, and then stress levels, absolutely. And this is where something like reflexology and yoga and meditation and breath work and all of these things that we've talked about can be integrated into a practice that works for each individual. Mm-hmm. And it's it's individual. Each person has to tailor it to their own um, schedule and needs. But for sure, anything that minimizes stress is going to help the big picture when it comes to headaches in general and migraines in particular, I think. The people that I know that have suffered from them pretty chronically um, will acknowledge that they have a high stress levels. And if whether it's it's environmental stress like work or internal stress maybe mm-hmm. they're caring for someone and it's a very emotionally stressful situation mm-hmm. or maybe their body is toxic and they just know that there are certain dietary changes they need to make and they just haven't been able to implement those mm-hmm. yeah okay on that note gosh that was a really exciting roller coaster conversation <laughs> but i think we covered a lot of <laughs> i think self-awareness yeah. at the root of it at the root of reflexology and uh and kundalini we totally covered the feet yeah exactly (laughs) i know well we did a bit it's at the root of it uh on that note guys you are listening to tna talk sex because sex isn't ever just about sex this is episode 139 and uh, we're talking with david rodwin filmmaker and storyteller uh you can find more of his work at jadelake.com he's also doing a show at the fringe i mentioned uh the hollywood fringe in june and uh and then our wonderful expert christina crabtree thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience um you can find her information on facebook touch balance yoga you are located here in la yes uh it's for anyone who is local um and did i did i leave anything out guys that's it all right uh, thanks for having us Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. This is wonderful. I'll just add, if anyone has any questions on any of these, uh, we will, my co-host and I, when she's back, uh, <laughs> do our best to answer those questions. If we don't know the answer, we will find an expert who does. And uh, you can write us at advice at tatalksex.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Ciao.